I want us to look at the, uh, the last part of our mission that we've been sharing on. Remember, we've been looking at our mission, seek, grow, serve, and go. I want to talk on the last part of that this morning, the area of go. But uh, before we do that, it's important we realize who we are. Not just as individuals, but as a church family. Who are we? What should we be doing as a church family? I think we lose track many times when we join a church. We lose track of what it's all about. We get into sort of, as, as, as Helen was saying this morning, I, I give because one of the reasons is because always have. And it becomes a habit. And it's good. But sometimes habits can lose their meaning. And being part of a church can become a good habit. But if we're not careful, it can lose its meaning. We actually gather together, we actually are part of a church family for a reason, for a purpose, to achieve something. So what is that purpose? What is Nations Church all about? And as we've been saying here at Nations, we're all about advancing the kingdom. That's our role, to advance the kingdom of God in our lives, in our midst, and in our city and beyond. And that happens in a progressive manner. It's seek. We seek God. We seek his presence. We seek his love. Grow. Once we find him, we, we should be growing. Serve. We should find a place of service so that what we have is given out. And then go. There is a world around us that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And often churches get stuck in one of those. You have a seeking church. You know, it's, it's seeker-sensitive and everything's, everything's aimed for the seeker. But once you've sought, you've got nowhere to go. You're still, you know, it's only for seekers. Or you can be a grow church. You know, we're all about feeding and growing. And, and that's great, but you can get grow and grow and grow and grow and just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And unless you're exercising and giving out, it's for no eternal purpose. Or a serving church, or, or a going church, but our, God wants us to be all four. That we make a room for all four of those things in our church family. And wherever we're at in that process, whether we're seeking, or whether we are in the process of growing, or whether we are finding a place of service, or whether we are, are, are going, we are in, into outreach in a, in, a, in, a, in a special way, wherever we are at, there's a place for us here. And not only is there a place for us where we are at, but there is a place for us to strive to be more than where we are at, to grow into. And today we're going to look at the fourth element of our growth track, and that's go. And we need to think about why is going so important to us. Let's go to Matthew 28, the obvious passage. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had, them to, had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I love that, so human. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And as we read this little passage, we need to understand the, the environment, what is going on at this time. The shock of the cross is over. They've got through that time of, of fear and shock that Jesus has been crucified, then he's resurrected. All of those strange events have finished. And what we have here are 11, only 11, one's gone. 11 frightened and defeated disciples who are now seeing Jesus resurrected. And what I, love, what I love about this passage is their responses varied. You, you'd, you'd expect, you know, Jesus has been raised from, your, from the dead. You'd expect all glory to be there. You know, you'd expect them to be excited and pumping and, and worshipping. And, but it's a, it's, a, it's a varied response. Some embrace him as Lord. Others doubt that what's happening is even real. I love it. It's just like us. Just like you, just like me. It's very human. And to this unsure group, to this group that has all these conflicting emotions going on, Jesus now gives his final commission. Notice he doesn't give it to a group that are on top. He doesn't give it to a group of people who have everything together. He doesn't give it to a group of people who have just been to Bible college and they've just come out ready to go. He's giving it to a group of people who some of them are in a mess. Some of them don't even have much right to be there. Peter's denied his, even his very existence. Thomas has said, I don't even believe it. There's doubt there. There's all sorts of stuff amongst these people. And yet to these people, Jesus gives his final commission. People just like you and me. They've left everything and they've followed him for three and a half years. They've been discipled and trained by him. They've tasted failure and they've tasted success. But up to this point, it's always been Jesus at their side. Now he's going away. Things are going to change. It's like your kid's leaving home. Can't wait to leave home, but now everything's going to change. They have to do their own dishes and cook their own meals and put their own petrol in the car. <laughs> and this instruction isn't just for them. It's for everyone who would follow afterwards. You see, this is God's final plan for his church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what church is all about. It's not about a nice worship team. It's not about ushers at the door. It's not about fire alarms that go off at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's not about nice seats to sit on and a building that eventually warms up. Those are just the things that help us to do this. We are here this morning to do this, to be trained, to be encouraged to do this, to go and make disciples of all nations. We take up an offering. Why? So that we can do that better. 
Everything we do is enabling us to do this, or it should be. Because that is the mission of Jesus to his church. He hasn't changed it. He hasn't revised it. This is it. This is his plan. And I want us to go now into the Old Testament because I want us to think about this theme of go a little bit deeper. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, I think this is one of my favorite stories. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. There's one problem with using your phone as a Bible. You never get to learn your way around the Bible. Because you just go, poke, 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 and there it appears. You don't know whether it's in the Old Testament. You don't know whether it's in the New Testament. You don't know which book comes before and which book comes after. I think our phones are making us illiterate. Never mind. 1 Samuel 14. One day... Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was a hijer who was wearing an ephod, and so on and so forth. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Verse 4, On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. Verse 5, One cliff stood to the north, the other to the south. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that is in your mind, as armor-bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. And Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Climb up after me, the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer. Uh, sorry, his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor-bearer killed some 20 men in an acre of about half an, uh, a ground area of about half an acre. And the panic struck the whole army in the camp, in the field, and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gebeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. And then we, it, the story goes on. Verse 23, we'll finish with that. So the Lord rescued Israel that day, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Now, why is this story important to us when we're talking about goats? Israel was in a similar position to these disciples. We haven't read what came before, but what had happened was that there were were just a few of them left, just about 600, and the Philistine army was huge, was now attacking them. And they were facing a daunting task. The only weapons were in the hands of Saul and his son Jonathan. No one else had weapons. They just had pitchforks and metal rods and sticks, and they just had farmer's implements. That's all they had. 
So they were in an, a, a terrible position, just like 11 disciples. 11 disciples who Jesus is now saying, go. How, how can we do that? The whole world, the scary world is in front of us. This world has just killed you, Jesus. And you're telling us to go? And Saul does just what most of us would do in a situation like that. Verse 2, we see him sitting under a pomegranate tree. Saul just stays where he is. The army's up there attacking them or, or, or taunting them, and Saul stays where he is. He goes nowhere because fear generally makes us immobile. If we're scared, we normally just hunker down and stay where we are. That's our automatic response when things are against us, to do nothing. Well, we'll just do nothing and see what happens. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'll just do nothing. Maybe God will do something. Just sit down, wait, see what God will do. I don't even know whether Saul was even wondering about God at all, but he was just sitting still and not going anywhere because he was afraid. And the rest of the army were exactly the same. But Jonathan realizes that sitting and doing nothing is taking them nowhere. And for the church to sit and do nothing takes us nowhere. For the church to look at the world the way it is and do nothing takes us nowhere. And Jesus recognized that with his disciples. For them to sit and do nothing would take them nowhere. His command to them was, go. Go where? Go into all the world. Just go and I'll be with you. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come, let's go up. Let's go. How stupid is that? Think about it for a minute. Come on, let's go. What are we going to do when we get there? I don't know, but we'll just go. Let's see what God will do. Let's go and do something. I'm sick of doing nothing. Let's, let's, let's go and see if something will happen. The worst that can happen is they'll kill us. They're going to kill us anyway, so let's go. So Jonathan takes a risk, and he goes out to the Philistines, and the result is the Lord brought about an amazing victory. You see, God rescued Israel when somebody did something. He didn't rescue Israel while they sat and did nothing. He didn't rescue Israel while they criticized those who weren't doing anything. He didn't rescue Israel while they planned at what they could do if they had enough people to do it. He didn't rescue Israel while they thought about the old days and how, how great it was when God did this and God did that. He rescued Israel when two men did something. You might say, well, it was rather stupid. I think God's used stupidity all, all through the centuries. Where people have just decided, hey, hey, something needs to be done. I'm going to do it. I had an uh, email the other day from somebody, won't tell you where, and asking me about a couple who are thinking of doing something. And I said, well, I, I don't know whether it's very wise. And I said, well, at least somebody's doing something. What's the worst that could happen? Nothing. Let them go. Let them have a go. It might work. 
Is that radical? Gladys Aylward went to China. She wasn't allowed to go to Bible college because she's considered too thick. You'll never pass. You can't do Bible college work because you can't do Bible college work. You can't go to the mission field. So the missionary society rejected her. But she felt God had called her. She felt she needed to go. Do you know what she did? She bought a one-way ticket to China. A woman by herself. All she had done is cleaning. And she cleaned and cleaned and cleaned and cleaned and cleaned until she raised enough money to buy one ticket to go one direction, and that was to China. What plans did she have? None. Who did she know? Nobody. Is that stupid? We wouldn't let anybody do that today. I think it's quite sad that we wouldn't let anybody do that today. She got to China and she met up with a person who all sorts of things happened. She met up with this person. She went to live with them. And in the end, God used that woman to change the whole social fabric of a nation. A woman who was too thick to go to Bible college and so could not go. A woman who was rejected by the so-called powers that be. But she got up and did something. Bought a one-way ticket so there was no way back. And gave her life to do something. She single-handedly was the person who sorted out the foot-binding problem. She was used by the communist government of China to get rid of foot-binding so that ladies wouldn't walk around like this anymore. Isn't that awesome? A lady that couldn't go the real way decided to go anyway. When people go, things happen. And I believe that's God's plan. Let's get up and go. Well, let's do it. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. We'll just go and do it. What's it? We'll find out when we go. It doesn't fit with our thinking, does it? You've got to do your strategic planning. And I'm not saying planning's bad. We do it. But I think sometimes our planning locks us up into a little box so that we spend all of our time under pomegranate trees planning and we never get anything done. All through the Bible, all through Bible history, go has been part of God's plan. And it's never been sensible. <laughs> God said to Abraham, go. Leave your father, leave your family, leave everyone you know, and go. Where should I go? I'll tell you when you've gone. Would you go? Hmm? Bet you wouldn't. Where? Oh, you just go and I'll tell you where. What do you want me to do? I'll tell you when you get there. Where's there? I'll tell you later. That's all he had, for goodness sake. And the Bible says he went. And the rest is history. God says to Moses, go back. He actually told him where to go and what to do. He said, go back to Egypt, bring your people out. What? Me? I'm a fugitive. 
I'm, I'm a murderer in that place. If I go back there, I'm, I'm breakfast. Go. I'll be with you. And the rest is history. God said to Israel, leave Egypt. Go to the promised land and I'll be with you. Go. God says to Isaiah, go to my people. Take this word. Go. In fact, he said, who shall I send? And Isaiah said, pick me. Little donkey, you know, Shrek. Pick me, pick me, pick me. God says, okay, I pick you, you go. Oh, heck, what did I open my mouth for? Too late, you're going. You know, go, you read, the, read Bible story after Bible story after Bible story. There's always a go and someone does it. So I was reading the one this morning about, uh, about our dear prophet Jonah. God said go, so he went in the opposite direction. That didn't work well for him, right? It only works well when we follow and go. So what does it mean to go? If go is God's word, if go is what the church is meant to be doing, what does that mean for us? Does that mean we all just pack up our bags and go somewhere? I don't think so. What does it mean? I'll tell you simply what it means. It means do more than you're doing now. It's as simple as that. It's do more than we're doing now. It means to move out of our comfort zone to reach people who don't know Jesus. It means to go visit the Muslim lady on the corner. Oh, what should I say? Well, go and see. It means to see a need and do something about it. Not write a book about it. Not criticise the church because the church isn't doing anything about it. Because remember, the church is you. It means to see a need and do something about it. Start a community pantry. Tanya did that. It's happening. Well, you end up with a whole lot of DCC red tape that you've got to go through. But hey, it's part of the process. Oh, I just thought I'd be sticking a thing on the corner and that'll be it. No, you've got pages and pages and pages of rules you've got to follow. But that's part of the process. Training to become a community chaplain. We've got at least 20 people going through chaplaincy very soon. I think that's awesome. That's a commitment. A commitment to what? Going. Starting an outreach amongst a certain group of people. Working for rock solid, M&Ms, golden age, visiting your neighbours. It's just doing something to reach people. Go. I think we've talked about it for so long that we're like Saul under the pomegranate tree. And the enemy's on the hill, jeering and laughing and saying, come on, you you just keep talking, you're making my day. I tell you, when he really gets upset, it's when Jonathan and his armour bearer decide to do something. Going involves making the effort to connect with those who don't know Jesus. It involves building trusting relationships, taking time to visit, taking time to listen, taking time to hear people's story, taking time to experience their world. I I actually think we've lost the art of reaching people 
You know, when missionaries go to another country, when Liz and Alan went to Pakistan, they don't just bowl up to Pakistan, into Pakistan, and stand in the corner and yell. They'll get shot. You don't go to a foreign country and start telling people in a foreign country what to do. What you do, what missionaries do, is they go to a country, they learn their language, they eat with the people, they talk to them, they get involved with their world, they spend time fellowshipping with people and earning their trust, they listen to their stories, and out of that comes an opportunity one day to share their story. And then comes an opportunity to share Jesus' story. That's, that's missionary work. That's how it works. Do you know what? That's what we're involved in here. It's no different. If we don't approach our world like a mission, we're going to lose. We are not living in a Christian country. We are living in a godless country. And how do we approach the people of our country exactly the same as missionaries approach a new country they're going to? You learn the language. We have forgotten the language of the people around us, and I'm not talking about swear words. We get so used to living in a Christian atmosphere, we forget how non-Christians think. We don't know what pushes their buttons anymore. We don't know what, what, what touches their lives anymore. It's getting involved, learning how they think, learning how they tick, learning what's going on in their minds, what, what upsets them, what doesn't upset them, what their needs are. And they're earning the right to eventually share the answer to those needs. That's going in this country. That's how it works. See, only a church that is committed to going will change a lost world. We won't change a lost world by having a flasher building and, having, and, and, and building bigger churches and, and, and building bigger auditoriums and having better music and having better preaching and having nicer children's programs. All of that's great, but it's not going to change a world. It just makes it better for us here. I want us to go back to Matthew 28 because there's something important in there that I think we sometimes miss came out in the story in Samuel. And Jesus makes it very, very clear in Matthew 28. He says, go. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, notice his cause and effect in there. He says, go, cause, effect, I will be with you always. Start of the process, go. End of the process, I will be with you always. We say, oh God, I just want you with me. Well, go. If you don't go, you won't experience this. The old King James says, go, and lo, I'll be with you. I want you to know there is no low unless there's a go. And we develop holy clubs where we, where we call down the fire. 
And we, we pray for a move of the Spirit, and we, we, we want to have this, and we want to have that. We, we long for the experiences of God, and God says, that's not what they're for. They're not for you. They're for a world that needs me. And if you go, you will experience the low. The power follows the going. Oh, I just need more of the gifts of the Spirit. Well, go, and you'll have a need for them. Oh, I need to move in the, the, the word of wisdom. We'll go into a situation that needs wisdom and I'll give you wisdom. I'm not going to give you wisdom if you don't need it. Oh, I want to move in the gift of healing. We'll go where people are sick. Ooh. See, God acts powerfully when we respond in obedience. When we... Um, when we were called to move from our first church to our second church in Auckland, it was a difficult situation because the church couldn't afford to pay us and we couldn't afford to go. <laughs> and uh, we couldn't afford to buy a house in Auckland. I've told you the story before. We couldn't sell our house in Martin. There were 400 houses for sale in Martin that year. That was a third of the houses in Martin were for sale. You understand when that happens, you haven't got much show of selling anything. Anyway, we waited and we waited like Saul under the pomegranate tree for four months, knowing that we were called to go, but nothing was opening up. And we went to visit a bank manager in Auckland, and the bank manager said to us, well, he said, you're not earning, talking to me, he said, you're not earning enough money. He said, you're never going to get a bank loan. He said, have you thought about your wife going out to work? That hadn't entered our heads, you know. So Annette started to look for work. She was a speech-language therapist at the time, so she started to, to make applications. She, she, nothing turned up. And anyway, I was really challenged that we needed to make a date and just leave. Basically, we had to sit on the branch and saw the branch off and see if God would catch us. So I stood up, and you've got to do it in church. You've got to tell everybody. Once you've told everybody, you can't take it back. Okay? <laughs> so I stood up in church and said, 10th of April, we're leaving. So they had the farewell and all that sort of stuff. We couldn't even afford to drive up there, let alone. But we're leaving, 10th of April. The week, the following week after I made that declaration, and it rings by chance, just rings a school in, in Auckland and gets the principal on the phone. And the principal says, you must be psychic. She says, why? He, she, he said, we're just talking about needing a speech-language therapist. Do you want the job? Bang, she gets a job. That same day, we get a phone call from Auckland from a land agent says, I found the house for you. That same week, everything fell into place. One by one. We, it, honestly, it was miracle after miracle. Bang, 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 bang. And its parents paid for our move. We couldn't even pay to move. Everything fell into place when we made the decision to go. When we chopped off the branch and then enjoyed the fall.
And I want you to know there is no low unless you first go. There's no outpouring of the Spirit, really, unless you first have a reason for the Spirit to be outpouring. There is no uh, provision of God unless you put yourself in a position where you need the provision of God. I hate it, but it's the way it is. My personality would rather have everything all nutted out. Have all the, all the accounting done, all the, all, the, all the things all sorted, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, and then I'll do it. And God says, forget about all that. You just go and I'll do it for you. Is this heresy? I think it's Bible. I think it's the way God works. Matthew 16, verses 15 to 17. No, Mark. Mark 16, 15 to 17. We're going to finish with this. We're almost done. Before the fire alarm goes off again. It can't. It's off. Mark 16, 15 to 17. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Know that? These signs will accompany them. They will follow them. It means they've got to go first, and the signs will follow. These signs will follow them. Sort of like you walking along and say, come on, signs. We're going over here. Come on, signs. We say, oh, where's the signs? I'll follow the signs. Problem is they're behind you. They're waiting for you to go. Oh, I don't see people healed. Do you pray for people to be healed? These signs will accompany those who believe. They will speak in new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it'll not hurt them at all. They'll place their hands on sick people and they will get well. These signs will accompany them. The signs are released when we need them. And we need them most when we go. True? See, the power of God's not for us. It's for a world that needs it. The power of God's not to give us a holy roll of time on Sundays. The power of God's not to make you feel good and me feel good. The power of God is not to give you goosebumps. <laughs> that was nice. That's not what the power of God's for. The power of God is to save those who need saving. The power of God is to, is to present a Christ who is powerful and glorious to a world who needs him. That's what the power of God's for. So God's plan is for us to go (laughs) with what he's given us. What have you got? Go with it. I haven't got anything. Got a voice? Go with that. Got a brain? Use that. Got hands? Use them. Got feet? Have a go with them too. So I, I don't find anywhere in here that tells us the church is about people coming. Yeah, we say, oh, come. Come to us. Come to us. We, we've got this for you, and we've got that for you. Come. It's, you know what? It doesn't say come. It says go. Yeah? Gather together. Get yourselves built up. Grow. Ser- learn to serve. And then take it and Go. 
The church is a people filled with God's spirit who go with what they have and share his life. Just as I'm finishing, I've told you this before, but at Hillsong, they, they decided to put this into practice. They gave a group of people, I don't know how many there were, but they were in their leadership team, they gave them all 10, was it $100? Might have been 10, don't know. They gave them some money. And they said, at the end of the year, we're going to come back together and we're going to share what God's done with it. Take the money, do something for God. We'll see what God's done with it. And people did this and that and the other thing. You know, they, they, they all tried various things. One guy took his $100, let's say it was 100 and he bought some secondhand clothes and stocked his garage and opened the doors and began to give and sell the clothes to the community. And his aim was to make money for missions. So he didn't give them away as much. He sold them cheap. But his aim was to make money for missions. And that little project took off so much that it's now a multi-million dollar missions department. It started with one person taking a little and doing something with it. Now, that's not to say that everything you do will become a multi-million dollar department. Some of the things that they tried flopped. They lost their $100 and came back with nothing. But this one happened to work. And you see, we are not to know what thing we do is going to actually be the one thing that's going to work. Ecclesiastes says, cast your bread upon the waters. Chuck it out there, chuck it out there, chuck it out there, because you don't know which one's going to work. The sower sows the seed, and some falls here, some falls there, some falls there, but some of it grows a hundredfold. Not everything's guaranteed, but what is guaranteed that is, if we go, God is with us, and lives will be touched. So go is God's plan. Like Jonathan, if we catch the vision and take what we have to a world that needs it, God becomes glorified. And as we do, Jesus' promise is clear. Go, and I'll be with you always. Oh God, I, I need to feel your presence more. Do you know what his answer to that is? You need to go more. Go, and I'll be with you always.